What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Sapira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me. It was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's not, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. Uh, I'll tell you why. Look, I'm going to tell you what's going to Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And today we're going to be telling a story from the prison yard. Bill, you're on death row. You're in San Quentin State Prison as we speak, if we have any new listeners. And you're going to be talking about an event that you experienced. And it's a pretty crazy story. So we'll get right to it. But first we have a question from a listener. This is coming from William in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. As he says, I was looking at some mug shots and how people could be identified for a crime, you know, if they're on the lam or running from the law. And one of the descriptions said that the suspect has an abnormally thick neck, and I thought that was funny. He wanted to ask you what marker you know, physical marker have you seen on someone that would just make them a really bad criminal? Of course, face tattoos come to mind, but something that, you know, if you're trying to blend into a crowd, it's not going to happen. And therefore maybe you shouldn't be, uh, I don't know, running from the police. Does that make sense? Yeah. But so that, that's a tricky question because look, and being a criminal is a state of mind. It is so much what you look like. And it comes with the territories of a lot of guys in prison that are criminals and they have tattoos over their bodies. That is not as crazy as it used to be in the 70s and 80s when only bikers and convicts had tattoos or someone that went to the Navy had like an anchor on their arm. Now, just about everybody in the population has both in prison and in society have tattoos. So that's no longer a marker. And being a big guy with a thick neck or a mustache, I mean, those are those are very, like, how do you call it? You're judging a book by its covers, what I'm saying. There are no markers, none whatsoever, that say, oh, that guy's a criminal. No, of course. You know, you see a guy that looks like a gang member, he has, you know, his pants are sagging, and, and he looks like a gang member, and more than probably, he is a gang member. So I guess that's something you can look at. But... Look, there's a lot of rappers that look the same way. There's a lot of guys that are, you know, in the movies that look that way too. So I don't think that judging a book by its covers very. It's, it, well, first of all, it's intelligent because if you see a big guy, it doesn't mean that he's a tough guy. Now he may may know how to use his his, his physical um, attributes. He may not. But I have come across too many guys that look as unassuming as grade school teachers, and they're killers. So there are none. 
I have never seen one. Usually for me, it's as soon as I look at the person, I can look at their eyes and I stand in front of them. I can pretty much judge what kind of person. I know that's kind of a crazy thing to judge a person on appearance or the first few words, but I usually can tell. The reason is because I spent 40 years in prison around criminals, so I can smell a criminal. That's about the best answer I can give you, which is don't judge a book by its cover, and there are no markers. All right. We appreciate you following us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries. And make sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Tell a friend about the show. Feel free to send any questions in. We just answered a question from William, and we'll get to your questions. Anyway, on to the show. Today we're going to be talking about an event that happened. You're, you're going to tell us the story about this guy named Charlie Pride. What is the, you know, the quick synopsis of what happened in this event? All right. Well, well, it's actually Timothy Pride, and he is was an African American guy who was on death row, and um, you know, in the same yard with me. Uh, we spent a number of years next to each other. I knew him as I know everybody on the road intimately because I watched their habits, and that's what I mean by intimate. I know everything there about them because of their actions, who they hang around with, what their affiliations are, and this guy basically was killed right there in front of me and that's what the story today is going to be about about death row yards and basically how dangerous it is out there right and so when you go out to the yard is that a privilege that pretty much everyone has um, outside of the people in protective custody yeah you can go to yard if you'd like to go to yard whether you do so or not is entirely up to you as I said, it's not a safe place out there. You know, since in the years I've been here, there have been several murders happening in front of me. And um, it's not easy to deal with those type of circumstances. You have a lot of bad people on those yards, guys that look like criminals because they actually are criminals. And worst of all, they are murderers. You have 750 of them in the closest proximity you can imagine Nowhere in the state of California, nowhere in the world are there 750 murderers all in one location like there are here in East Block on St. Quentin's death row. And so you're taking a bit of a risk just going out there every every time you go out. Now, of course, you got to balance your mental health versus how worth you know how much is it worth it to to go outside? Is that is that kind of what's going on? Yeah, that's absolutely what's exactly what's going on. I mean, for a person like me, I don't miss a yard day. If they open those doors, unless it's a day off, I go out. But there are people that can that crosses their mind every single time. For me, before I leave my cell, you know, I, I touch the wall of my cell on top of my door and I say, today's the day they're going to try to kill me. And that's the state of mind I go outside with every single day because at any moment, someone could decide to do exactly that, try and kill me. So can you feel a certain tension if something, if you're out there, do the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? Uh, do you, do you hear rumors or, or just chatter that, you know, some guy has a problem with another guy or, 
or does it really just kind of come out of nowhere? Well, for people who are not paying attention, people who are not trained or haven't trained themselves to be experts at human behavior, yeah, it comes out of nowhere. But usually, with me, I can feel it. There are certain people out there that act a certain way, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this to you before, that I know, I'm very intimate with habits. I know what people do normally. Like, let's say, for example, you know, Billy Bob on the side right there, every day he makes a cup of coffee and he goes and does pull-ups, you know, and then he runs and he plays basketball. If he doesn't do exactly what he normally does, because prisoners and convicts are normally creatures of habit, if he's not doing what he normally does, something is off. doesn't mean something's going to happen. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's having an off day. But you watch for different things. Once that takes my, my antenna, I start looking at other things. Or did he make coffee? Is he acting normal? Is he talking to people he normally talks to? It's an overall feeling. And yeah, you can feel it. If you, if you are not on a yard like there are in death row, you can smell adrenaline. If you, if you know how to do it, and it's no different than when an animal crosses the savannah and you see a lion just, you know, dilly bobbing down the way. But usually, as soon as he changes his posture, he's hunting, all the antelope know it. The same thing in prison. Normal society has basically forgotten about that trait. But usually, alpha males understand that very well. And that's what happens on these yards, and that's really what happened with, with Timothy Pride. The day prior to that happening, there was no indication that anything was happening. My antenna rose when, I'm, when on my way to yard, I was being searched thoroughly well. There was extra gunners, and I noticed all these things. So, of course, you're wondering, okay, is it me? Are they, are they looking at me? Is there a rumor or something going on about me? But once I began to see that everybody was being looked at very carefully, I knew something was up. And if I didn't know about it, because I, it's my job to know what's going on in those yards. If you don't know what's going on... You have 60 seconds remaining. Well, you're an idiot because you're not paying attention and you don't value your life. So when I noticed that it was happening to everybody, it dawned on me that, hey, this has nothing to do with me. And if I don't know about it... That means that the prison knows. And if the prison knows, it's because they went to committee yesterday. It was. It was a Thursday. They went to committee on Wednesday. That means they're releasing a new person, a new element onto the yard. And that's when I knew it. I'll call back. Hey, there you are, Matt. All right. So obviously you're going to know anything that's going on in the prison or perhaps not obviously but from what i understand you're aware of all these rumors and you know everything that's going around so you know now that this is something on the administrative side so this committee's job is to decide if someone's allowed to be on the yard uh, whether or not they'll be immediately killed or like what are they deliberating they're exactly right they're, they're assessing the risk of what this guy's about, what affiliations he has, who he has enemies, who are his known enemies, all these, these factors go into, into place into this committee. And obviously, because I didn't know what was going on in the yard, and no one else seemed to know what's going on, obviously there was a new element going to be coming out that day. And when I came out to the yard, no one seemed to be aware of it, 
But I was watching. I was watching the gunners. I was watching the door. And of course, it only took a few moments till my question was answered. And that was that a guy that were referred to him as Tenman because he's still alive. The other guy died, so obviously we're using his name. And and, it, and this is a story that um, obviously highlighted in my book, Escape Artist. But as soon as I saw him, all the things I know about him came to mind. So Penman is about five foot ten. He normally weighs about 220 pounds. Tattoos on his body, chest, back. He was rumored to be a hitman for the Hells Angels. But prior to him being gone, he was gone for a year. He was in the hole for a year. And the reason he was in the hole was because just prior to going there, he had picked up a 60-pound dumbbell and crushed it over a guy's house, putting his head open and nearly killing him. So now he's back. And look, I'm smart enough to know that this guy comes back. There's going to be problems with certain people on the yard. Maybe that guy's friends, maybe associates of that guy. So as he made his way to the yard, all these things are competing through my head. Look, I've never had a problem with Pendant. And actually, as soon as he came through the gates, he and I locked eyes and he nodded to me. And I nodded back because I never had a problem with this guy. But I knew that that was not going to be a good day um, on the yard. And of course, the reaction from everybody was the same. Everybody knew once they knew who was coming on, there was going to be a problem. So, and obviously he felt it too. So he went to the, to a 15 foot wall. And let me just describe the yard is a cement block. Basically it's got, you know, walls, uh, a, a 15 foot wall in the back of the yard that stops you from looking at the ocean or the bay. There's another wall to the right of the yard, which seals you off from there. And then there's chain link fence all the way down the yard. So you can see the rest of death row. And he immediately went to that wall and stood there and put on his shorts and just stood there. And you could tell he's very awkward. And he knew that he was put in a very bad situation. And so this is the first time he's been out of the hole in like a year, you said? A year. Yeah. He went to there frequently uh, crushed some guy's head with a 60-pound dumbbell. He picked up and smashed it over his head. So they put him in the hole for at least a year. I believe it was a year that he was gone. It could have been a little bit more, but it was about a year. And how many people are roughly out in the yard total now? Well, this was, this was 1993 when this happened. So back then there was probably about 390 to 400 guys on death row at that time. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But on a good day where it was sunny and beautiful, most guys that went out, went out. There's probably, been those, on those yards, probably between maybe 250 and 300 people. Okay. And is, is everyone kind of, I think they're separated into groups and there's enough space that, you know, people aren't crowded around each other unnecessarily, right? Well, no, it's pretty crowded. It's, it's easy to hide someone's intentions there. It's hard to, to decipher different people. There are, there are lines, of, there's racial lines you can't cross. For example, on the yard back then, we had Iron Pile, which were weights. So between 7.30 a.m. and 10 a.m., the African-Americans worked on the Iron Pile. If you're Hispanic or white, you could not cross into that line. If you did, well, you're going to get messed up because those are respect lines. 
and the Hispanic or whites or Islanders stood away from there. They worked on a different area of the yard. At 10 o'clock, you're allowed to cross that line. The African-Americans leave the the way area, and then we walk into the area. So, uh, yeah, so there's definite lines. There's lines between gangs. There's uh, lines between ethnic groups. There's lines between, you name it, in prison, they have the issue. As I've mentioned before, look, everybody in prison is basically a racist. Those who say they're not, they're lying to you. Because you have to be like that. You have to um, align yourself with your own people. And it's just the way it is in prison. You may not agree with it, but you do it because it's the rules here. So to set the scene, you're, I guess, kind of neutral. You're Colombian, so you are... You're you're independent though, but you're you are a Hispanic guy. Um, the guy who the guy who's in the hole is a white guy. And what's Timothy Pride's situation? What is he doing at this moment? Do you think? Well, what he's doing is so I'm watching the whole yard, and the African Americans are working out the iron pile. Timothy Pride's working out; he's lifting, and I'm watching him too. And I'm watching Penman, and I'm watching everybody. Penman's against the wall. He's staying there. He doesn't want to move. He doesn't want to make any waves. He's not looking for trouble. And the yard is very tense, but there are guys that are going about their business. Timothy Pry was not a gang member. He was not involved in gangs. So he's lifting iron. He was bench pressing at that time somewhere in the neighborhood of 380 pounds. So I was watching him. But there was somebody in his ear talking to him. One of the guys that was next to him was making a lot of noise about hey that guy's in the yard and this stuff as normal because this was timothy pride's normal routine he'd do a set of, of, of bench presses he'd stand up and he'd walk around the yard or the area he was he'd walk around the entire kind of like his muscles loosened up and then he'd go back and do another set as soon as he finished he'd do the same thing again well this whole time that this is going on other people are already positioned. They're, they're away from Penman. They want. They understand that something's going to happen. They don't know who's going to be involved or how they're going to get involved, but something seems to always follow Penman around. I mean, he's not a white guy. He's actually an islander. But he associates with basically white guys. Uh, as I said, he was a biker in the streets, rumored to be a hitman, but... He had been on the road for a number of years, and one thing was for certain was he was very violent. So as Mr. Pry's walking around the yard, he does a set, and I look up at that same moment that Pry gets up to do his, his walk, Penman begins to cross the yard in the direction of where I'm at, which is next to the showers. There's a wall there. There's a drinking fountain. There are the facilities to use the toilet. And it looks like he's going to get a drink of water. As as he crosses paths with Timothy Pride, because they're crossing paths, at that exact moment, it's like they cross almost brushing themselves. There is a second of pause, and then both of them erupt into a fight. They're, they're, they're slinging at each other. These, these guys are both big guys. They're both slinging at each other. And, of course, everybody begins to back away because they're fighting. Immediately, the gunner hits his alarm. And he begins to blow his whistle. And he's yelling down, 
down, everybody down. And he pulls out, which at that moment, everything slows down for me. I'm looking at these two guys, and they're both throwing punches at each other's heads, trying to knock each other's heads off. At the same moment, I look up and I see the gunner, and he is chambering around, and he's bringing the rifle to his shoulder. Now, on the wall, it does say, no warning shots. So if you're involved in an altercation and you're endangering somebody's life, they can shoot you. And if you're near it, a ricochet can kill you as well, even if you're not involved. So these guys are throwing punches, and suddenly they stop. And they're still in fighting position. Their fists are up. They're standing maybe a foot and a half or two feet from each other. And it looks like they're about to begin again. And suddenly... A shot rings out. The shot rings out, and you have to understand when when you shoot into a basically a a barrel, a cement barrel, the echo of that shot sends shivers through your whole body because you don't know if you're going to get hit. Are they aiming at you? Is a ricochet going to hit you? But the same moment that shot rings out. I look at both combatants and Timothy Price stumbles. At the moment that he stumbles, it's like almost like he doesn't realize what's happening to him, but his body's responding or his mind's not. He doesn't understand that he's been shot and he collapses to one knee. He actually looks my way and he hits the ground and he turns over onto his back, and right away you can see the puddle of blood beginning to expand, expand. And he's mouthing something to me, like he's trying, I'm only standing three and a half to four feet from this guy. He's talking, he's trying to say something. He reaches his right hand up to me, as if almost asking me to pick him up, and the hand, it comes down. And it's like, at that moment he realized I've been shot. And I, I looked at him. I mean, I, I could never cross that line to, to help because they would have shot me immediately. The order is to stand down. The order is to lay flat on your stomach, which by that time now I'm on my knees and pride is reaching out to me. And his hand closes. And it looked like his eyes dimmed and his head fell back. Of course, everything speeds up then again. There are staff members running out the door. There are gunners coming in. They're all drawing down. The yard is ordered down. We're all laying prone. And I'm looking at this, and I it's hard to explain, but there's an element in the, in the air. And, and I know it's death. Because I know in my heart that he's dead. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's basically the scope of what happened there. Um, it, was tra- it was tragic. It was extremely tragic. A guy lost his life um, for getting in a fight. Wow. So we want to figure out, you know, how this altercation, you know, how, how the reasons behind it. But what I'm thinking, and I think probably what a lot of people are thinking, is how unfortunate the situation is. Because if you get into a fight that you didn't start, at that point, 
you're fair game to be sniped. And the other thing I'm thinking is the last time this guy was outside or one of the last times he tried to kill a person, he comes outside now and his energy is weird and you can tell that he's probably going to do something. And, but the guy up on the, the gun rail, he doesn't know that. Right. So all he sees is two guys fighting. He assumes one of them's trying to kill the other one. And that's how they put a stop to it. Yes, absolutely. And you have to understand, you have a gunner who, you know, he understands all the guys that are murderers. And if he, if he, he perceives that the other one is being hurt, his order was to stand down. His order was to lay flat on the floor. They didn't comply. And if I hadn't complied, and if they would have shot me, even though I wasn't involved in the fight, it would have been justified because I was ordered to stand down, and I didn't. Both these guys remained standing. They had their fists up, and it looked they were, like they were about to initiate, again, the fight. So I, I can't tell you what they were thinking, what the gunner was thinking. I can only tell you exactly what I saw. And he was shot. I mean, it says no warning shots. It, you know, they don't warn you. If you do something and they tell you to stand down and you don't, they shoot you. Those are the consequences. So how conditioned are these two guys to being out on the yard, to prison in general? These guys have been in prison a long time. If two guys in civilian life get in a fight, their adrenaline takes over. There could be people yelling at them to stop. They're not going to hear that. All they're seeing is the guy in front of them. And it really is this tunnel vision. I mean, you've been a professional fighter. You you know what I'm talking about, right? So are these guys yeah, aware yeah, of, the, of the situation? Yeah, it's a very good point you make that because most would understand that. Yes, when you get a normal fight, you're not a trained fighter. You don't see, hear nothing else. You're concentrating on the guy in front of you and your adrenaline takes over and you're just, you're slinging trying to either harm him or stop from being harmed because the best defense is a great offense. A trained fighter's different. These guys were not trained fighters. However, they were in great physical shape. As I mentioned, Kevin was benching, I think it was something like 300 and some odd, 380 some pounds. He was working out with this stuff. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Timothy Pride. And Penman was just as strong. I mean, he was benching well into 400 pounds before he went to the hole. So these guys, if they hit you, you're going to feel it. And as you and I have discussed this on several occasions, and I'm sure we'll talk about this story at some point, I witnessed a guy punch a guy so hard they lifted him off the ground, and when he hit the ground, it killed him. So we're talking about men that are extremely in extreme physical shape. The pr- the muscles in prison have a very, uh, I, I, the word I'm looking for is, there's a reason for the muscles. It, it's for explosive movement. It's to do as much harm as you can as quick as possible. These muscles are not for show. But of course, these guys are not trained fighters. And I don't know if they heard the whistles. I don't, I'm sure they knew that this was happening, they were told to stand down because everybody else was at that time trying to kneel because it happened very quickly. But yeah, you're talking about guys that were large men trying to do as much damage as they could to each other. 
and one lost his life because they obviously did not do exactly what they were told to do at that particular moment. Before I was informed on this from talking to you, I'm, I'm still learning, but I would think, well, letting two guys get in a fist fight and fight it out is probably safer than shooting one of them. But as I've learned in these situations, a lot of time a guy has a shank or some kind of weapon and, you know, he's actually stabbing the other person to death. So given the screwed up way that they have this set up, they do have to intervene, right? They do. And now things have changed since then. There are now 40 millimeter cannons out there, which are, they throw this, they shoot this uh, wooden bullet that if it hits you, it's, you know, there's, a, there's a couple of guys out there that I know that have lost their eyes. It hit them in the eye and they lost their eye. But it's better than dying. So they have altered from lethal um, responses to one of where they shoot this cannon that hits you and it hurts like hell but it's not going to kill you unless you happen to hit you in a spot that and you had a you know a a condition that would have um, responded badly to being hit there but they still have the mini 14s and if the staff member is or the officer does believe that the other guy is in danger of being killed he's authorized to use lethal um intervention to stop the aggressor from killing the other guy there there have been murders on the yard there was a murder on the yard from a guy being stabbed to death less than a year and a half ago so it does happen so you have to understand also the other position which is the law enforcement guy the staff member the 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 guard if you want to call him well his adrenaline's pumping too he's seen two guys he's 15 feet above us in a gun rail and he's seen two guys big guys you know throwing punches trying to you know, how does he respond to that? So, um, obviously in this situation, uh, one guy was shot and, you know, the, the staff members are not going to walk out of the yard with all of us out there. But there was a guy obviously hurt. No one knew that he was dying or dead. So the gun rail and staff members ordered two men, and they were both African-American, to walk over, and they happened to be um, Pride's workout partners. They picked him up and drug him over to the gate where the gate was open and put in a small little vestibule and the door was closed and then the medical staff rushed in there, put him on a gurney and took him away. It wasn't until after we left the yard, you know, in cuffs, they put him in, they put us in special cages, they searched us, strip searched us for any weapons or anything. It was then that I learned, because I overheard the front desk tell somebody, hey, Pride didn't make it. And, you know, as I said, I knew uh, Timothy Pride, nodded with him, said hello to him every, every once in a while. We weren't friends or anything, but I knew him. He, he was on the same yard with me for years. It, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's something that sometimes there's a, a bit of dread that hits you when you hear someone that you've known for several years that he suddenly has been killed he's dead yeah and and it happening in front of you right in front of your face is obviously even more traumatic so it is yeah no you're right and actually uh, I've, I've witnessed now several murders happen within a few feet of me while I've been on death row it's um 
yeah, it's not an easy thing to, to go through. You, you'd think that you're callous to it, that you, you've been around this so long, but even after maybe 40 years in prison, um, when this is happening, you know, your stomach tightens, you know, you get an apple that, that feels like there's an apple in your stomach and a fist is holding your stomach because your, your adrenaline is pumping, your, all those things are happening. And, and, and there's an element of fear there too. It never gets easy. It's never easy to watch someone um, be, be stabbed to death or killed in front of you. So this is early in the day. You guys had recently just gone outside, from what I understand. So you realize that Penman is out, and he's doing weird stuff, like kind of what he does, kind of brooding by a wall. And I guess it targeted him and, and approaches him in that neutral area. Do I have that logistically right? You know, it's, hard, it's hard to say, because what they were doing was Penman was crossing the basketball courts. He was on the far wall, and he decided to cross the basketball court and come towards me because I was standing very close to the shower and fountain area. Pride was walking the perimeter of the gap basketball court because when he, he did a set, he would walk around the basketball courts. When him and Penman crossed paths, they crossed extremely close to each other. That's when it happened. It wasn't, I can't tell you who started because you couldn't tell. It was almost simultaneous. But once they crossed paths, and over the years I've wondered, was something said and one of them whisper something or say something or, or under his breath say something? Because it's like they just turned and looked at each other immediately. It was 100% on. It was no holds barred. Was there any investigation or I know that people, the prisoners were talking about it after. Did they find out that there was any history of bad blood between these guys? That I wouldn't know. There was a very thorough investigation. I was, as everybody in the, in the yard was interviewed and asked, and at that time I said, like you're supposed to say in prison, I didn't see a thing. That's exactly what I said. I, I, I didn't see a thing. I don't know. Because... Um, it's not my job, first and foremost. I was, actually, I was very young as well. And I, you know, you don't say anything on these yards because of the, the consequences behind saying something. Um, and obviously one guy was dead, one wasn't. You don't want to get it where the, one of the, the person that's alive is being thrown in the hole for a longer period of time because of something you said. So, but there was a thorough investigation. Um, Penman never came back out to normal yard. He was placed on a protective custody yard. I mean, he his his actions directly resulted in the death of an African American guy, and I'm sure that didn't go over very well. So, for his own protection, he was placed on a protective custody yard. So, more than likely, to me, it seems this was just male you know macho male alpha male behavior these two really intimidating guys passing each other and maybe something was said i guess it'd be hard to know but yeah could there have been a physical contact just they they bumped shoulders accidentally or something from my, my vantage point they didn't bump shoulders they just crossed paths i mean they were close to each other very close i mean they were within arm's reach of each other and they crossed paths 
but there was no like seat bumped into him or anything like that. So it could have even just been a look or something, but because of the setting, I'm imagining everything is magnified to just a degree that an outsider couldn't even imagine. That's absolutely correct. This is an extreme situation with extreme individuals. It's a lot of tension, a lot of testosterone, a lot of machoism, honestly, a lot of stupidity. That's, that's really what it's about, a lot of ignorance. Uh, instead of someone coming up to that guy, which normally means in society would have done it. Hey, hey, well, at least you would think so. Hey, is everything okay? Uh, nothing. It was a standoff. No one to talk to this guy. No one to get near him. No one to be associated with him, fearing that someone would have misinterpreted it and they would have been assaulted. So, all around, a lot of ignorance. And it cost someone their life because ignorance. I mean, really, there was no reason for those two guys to fight. From what I understand, there had never been any altercation between those two guys, ever. There was no words interacting between them. There was no exchange of, of insults, nothing. So it came down to perception, what other people were thinking. And that's a lot of the things that happen in prison. You have a lot of people that are ignorant, trying to prove that they're tough guys, and the results are death. So could it just be as simple as Tenman is... He was in the hole. He gets out. Just like how when prisoners get out, they'll reoffend just to go back in. It's just what they do. I mean, did he just want to pick a fight so he could go back in the hole or go back into protective custody? Or is he, you know, an extreme of the extreme and pride was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe? That's a very good possibility, but I, I've known Penman for years, and I said, I, I, I'm into his, he was not in protective custody, he was on a normal yard always, and it was only, he was only placed in protective custody for his own protection after that incident, but um, I don't think he was trying to go to the hole, but because of the, the, the level of tension out there, yeah, pride could have been very much in the wrong place at the wrong time or both guys were at the wrong place at the wrong time and a look a particular movement caused them to explode because they either feared that they were going to be assaulted and um and that's exactly what happened they just responded let me call right back hey yeah so i don't i think we're the same i don't like looking for racism where it doesn't exist but it did just occur to me you have this guy that's aligned with the white supremacist he gets into a fight with a black guy and the black guy is shot i don't know the color of the guy that shot him now that could just be a coincidence or i'm sure that there's people that would want to dig a little deeper on that yeah there's there's always people speculating what could happen Usually I, I leave it to, you really don't think about those things as they're happening. I don't think there's any conspiracy here. I think that, you know, an element was from the yard. Uh, pride responded to it in a certain way. Penman uh, did the same thing. And it, it turned out bad. Um, you know, Penman's a violent guy. He always has been. I mean, look, he went to the hole for smashing a dumbbell on a guy's head attempting to murder him. 
and he comes back to the yard and he gets in a fight where he results in the death of another person. So, yeah, I guess common sense would tell you that probably Penman had some ulterior motive. Maybe he just didn't like the way that guy looked or whatever it may be. Um, those are results, and that's what happens on these yards where you have so many murderers put together. And unfortunately, I've had to witness so much of it from a very early age. I mean, I've been in this situation for nearly 40 years, and there isn't anything I haven't seen. So have you had situations where you thought there could be an altercation, someone tried to start something with you, how are you supposed to navigate that knowing that if there's an altercation, there's a really good chance that you could be shot? That's, a, that's something that's always on my mind because the chances of you getting shot during an altercation are very high. So I try not to you know, get involved in situations that would put me in a position where I have to become a, you know, the aggressor or the victim of a situation. All these things, you can't stop everything. Uh, but if you don't want to have a car wreck, you know, you, you'll stop driving your car, but you don't do things to put yourself in a position where you can have an accident like drinking. So I don't get involved in the things that would put me in a position where someone would want to try and harm me. However, I've been in a number of altercations when someone's tried to attack me, and my position's always the same. If you open that door, and I have to defend myself, I will do so to the best of my abilities, which are substantial. And I'm going to do so as quickly as possible because I know that someone could shoot me. It's a bad situation no matter how you look at it. Try and treat people with respect all the time. Try and be always honest and straight with people. And I tend to navigate around those situations. But nothing's perfect. Well, yeah, it's similar, you know, especially when guys are young they might get into an altercation with someone at a bar or something like that. And they don't realize that when you punch a guy, you might hit him in the temple. He might fall down and crack his head. You might just hit him hard enough that you can actually kill someone. And it's not uncommon. And now you're going to prison. And it sounds like what you're advocating as someone who can actually handle themselves is usually to not escalate things. Absolutely. And communication. Look, if you can communicate with somebody and try to end the situation before it happens, that's a good idea. Well, I think that's good advice, and you would know more so than just about anyone else. So it's been a sad story, but an interesting story. And we'll be back next week with another one. So I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. These are death row diaries. Please be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it.